So, so, so I, I've been a pastor. I was a pastor in the same church for 26 years. Uh, when God asked me to plant the church, I said, Lord, I'll give you six weeks. It's true. I only had six sermons, Rory. So I thought, I'll be there for six weeks. But God ambushed me into another 26 years. And I, you know, one of the, one of the greatest joys of my life. And you know, you don't have to watch soap operas. Just go to church on a Sunday morning. You'll see it all. Do you know what I'm saying? I heard of one youth pastor, and he was doing a, a series on uh, what the Bible has to say about sex to his young people. And so he rang up the pastor, and he said, look, would you come, please, pastor, to do one session for us in this very important subject? He said, sure. I'll just write it in my diary. So he was a bit embarrassed to write down talking to the young people about sex. So he put down talking to the young people about sailing. He says, when I see it, I'll know what it is. So the night before the meeting, the youth pastor rang up again just to check that, uh, that he was coming and uh, he wasn't in. So his wife answered the phone and she said, hello, yeah, I'm the youth pastor, just checking to see if the pastor's coming tomorrow night to speak to our young people. She said, oh, I'll just check the diary. He always writes in his diary and she saw what he wrote in the diary and he said, yes, he is coming, but I can tell you now, he knows nothing about this subject whatsoever. <laughs> He's only ever done it twice. <laughs> the first time his hat blew off. <laughs> and the second time he was violently sick. So give it up for every youth pastor around the country, sir. Come on. Every youth pastor doing their best for Jesus. <laughs> so, so I was praying about tonight. And, you know, it's great to be part of a house where you really love the word of God. Am I looking at a bunch of name in the Lamb's book of life, demon crushing, word loving, believing people in this house right here? You know, I, a very famous preacher went to visit one of his flock. Aren't you glad that Jesus likened us to sheep? Because all the sheep said, oh my God, yeah. It always happens. Aren't you glad he, he didn't liken us to giraffes? But no, she said he went to visit one of his flock. And when he walked into the room, it was an epitome of, of poverty. She was dying. So he went to minister to her and he looked around the room and the only piece of furniture in the room was a piece of paper that had been framed on the wall. He went back to the lady and he said, who gave you that piece of paper? And she said, well, actually, it was, it, was, it was Mr. Spurgeon, the great preacher. She said, Pastor Spurgeon, I worked for a very wealthy lady all my life. I loved her, served her. And when she was dying like I am dying now, she handed me this piece of paper and said, I want to give you this piece of paper to show you how much I appreciate your service over these years. She said, Pastor, I've never been able to read. So I framed the piece of paper and I placed it on the wall. And every time I look at that piece of paper, it reminds me of my relationship with that wonderful lady. The pastor said, dear lady, that piece of paper that you couldn't read is a check which makes you one of the richest women in England. All these years, you've been living in abject poverty and you could have been blessing thousands of other people 
all because you couldn't read. And when I heard that story, there are so many believers around the world that are living way below what Jesus died to give them, all because they don't understand one word, and that word is covenant. Everybody say covenant. Now, what I'm going to share with you tonight, literally, this is not just a message. This is a revelation that God gave me that radically changed my life forever. In fact, when God gave me this revelation, because I was meditating on this word covenant, we talk about it, we're in covenant with God. But you know, the majority of, of believers don't really understand what that means. We just say it as a phrase and we don't know how to live in it. And when God gave me this revelation, I had to pull over the side of the road because I couldn't handle it. I thought I knew about the grace of God until I saw this. And if you want a title for the message, it's called The Gasp of Grace. Because if grace doesn't take your breath away, you've never experienced it. So covenant, the closest we get to covenant in our culture is the marriage covenant. And because 50% of marriages end in divorce, it's not a really good illustration. So I want to take you on a journey here. Are you with me tonight? Are you, have you got your ears up tonight to ready to receive? So let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 18. And I'm going to read a few verses here. And uh, it says this. It says this, and Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan took off the robe that was on him and gave it to David along with his armor, his sword, his bow, and his belt. Let me lay a foundation here. When two Hebrew men entered into a covenant with each other, they went through a ritual. David and Jonathan, normally they would meet in an open field, surrounded by many witnesses. This is what was happening here, okay? So this is what they would do. They would face each other, and the first thing they would do is take their coats off. The coat was symbolic of the character of the man. So they were saying to each other, today, everything that I am, I obligate myself to give to you. Then they would take their belt off. On the belt, that's where all the weapons were. And they would exchange belts. And they were saying to each other, this day, if somebody comes against you to harm you, they also have to deal with me. Then what they would do, they would get some animals and they would split them down the backbone. Every time you see this type of sacrifice in the Old Testament, it's to do with covenant. A wall of blood here and a wall of blood here. Symbolically, they were saying, this day, what we did to these animals, I die to my rights and I'm obligating myself to live for you. Then they would turn around and do a figure eight walk like this. A figure eight walk is indicative of infinity. No beginning, no ending. They were saying to each other, this day, if you die before me, 
I'm obligating myself to meet the needs of your children. Watch. Then they would get a knife and very carefully they would cut the palms of their hands. Blood was shed in this covenant. They would, they would, they, blood would, they would cut their hands and they would strike their, they would strike their hands together and they were saying to each other, they were obligating each other. They were saying to each other, I am going to bless you even if it kills me. And then they would get a knife and they would cauterize the wounds. So the marks of covenant would be on their hands for the rest of their life. So if an enemy came against you, all you had to do is raise your hand like this and he would think twice because he would say, well, you're a little squirt, but Rory Dyer could be your, you know what I'm saying? So I'm not messing with you. Come on, somebody say amen here. Now stay with me. I've got to lay this foundation. Then they would sit down and they would exchange names. That's where we get, this is an ancient uh, uh, an ancient ritual that was around even before the days of Abraham. This is what it meant for two people to enter a covenant. Now watch this. I'm meditating on this and I read a story in the newspaper of, of an English businesswoman who went um, out to the Far East somewhere and, and, and became very friendly with an Arabian businesswoman. They became so close that the Arabian girl said, I want to be your blood sister. So the English woman didn't know what that meant, didn't want to offend. So they went through a ritual like this, even to the shedding of blood. And she went through the ritual and went home and thought no more about it. Then about three months later, she lost her business. She lost her houses, her bank, she was bankrupt. And she just happened to write to her friend. Well, three days later, knock on the door, open the door, and there was this Arabian girl standing on her doorstep. She said, what are you doing here? She said, well, you have a need. I, uh, she said, yeah, but you could have sent me a postcard or something. Not enough. She said, no, don't you remember what we said to each other? We entered a covenant. And in that covenant, we said to each other, if either of us had a need and the other one had the means to meet the need, we were obligating ourselves to meet it. She says, my father owns 20 oil wells. I have some spondulux. I've got some shecks. I've got some Alibaba, yabba-dabba-doo. I got some stuff. She stayed in the country, Rory, and paid for all her debt, set her up in business, bought her all the houses that she needed, and when she realized that her friend was fine, that's when she went back home. Are you beginning to understand what I'm talking about covenant here? Come on, somebody. Let's, some of you are way ahead of me, but let's give the Lord a big clap right here. Now watch this. God, this is what blew me away. God, out of his own volition, looked down on the planet and said, I want to enter a covenant with a human. The human didn't say, I want to enter a covenant with God. And he looked down and he saw this guy called Abram, A-B-R-A-M, very important. He didn't go to church, he wasn't a tither. 
He, he was an idolater. He worshipped the moon god Nana. That's what Abraham was. And God says, I choose him. Why? Because he says, I choose him. I want to give myself away to that man. So he got him out of... of <laughs> Sorry, I just thought of a joke. He, he got me... No, I laugh at my own jokes. I don't care. Listen. Listen. So he looked down, and this guy, Abraham, lived in a place called Ur. Yeah, imagine living... Where are you from? Uh, no, come on. No, where are you living? Uh, uh, we haven't got all day. Come on, where? So he lived in Ur. So watch this. So God took him out, changed him. God did it, brought him to a land, and he looked over this land, and he said, Abraham, not only have I chosen to bless you, but see this land? I'm going to give it to you. And I can imagine Abraham reeling with the fact that God chose him. Now God's going to give him all this stuff. And I can imagine, you know, he's standing there and God says in Genesis 15, I am the Lord who brought you out of the earth of the Chaldees to give you this land, Abraham. You're not going to earn it with your effort. You're not going to earn it with your works. You're not going to earn it with your morality or goodness. I'm going to bless you simply because I want to give it to you. And then Abraham is reeling now. He's thinking, I don't deserve this. What's the catch? And then he says this, Lord, there are going to be moments when I'm going to doubt myself here. There are going to be moments when I look at your generosity and I'm going to think there's some, there's some catch to this. He says, Lord, give me something to stand on. When I have self-doubt, give me something to stand on when self-doubt comes, when I feel unworthy, when I feel so unfaithful. Please give me something to stand on. And God says, okay, let's enter a covenant. Now, Abraham knew the ritual. It was around. So God came down to Abraham's level. He says, okay, okay, I, I, this is what we're going to do, Abraham. We're going to enter a covenant. Now watch this. God went through exactly the same ritual as if Abraham was entering into a covenant with another man. When you go home, read Genesis 15, it'll all make sense. Okay, so ready. Abraham's ready to cut the covenant with God. He knew the process. The first part of the ritual was the coat. Genesis 15, God says, Abraham, I am. Your very great reward. Everything that God is, is wrapped up in two words. I am. God was taking his coat off and saying, this day, this day, Abraham, Abraham, I don't just live for myself, but I live for you. Then he took his belt off. God says, I am your shield. From this day on, Abraham, if anybody comes against you to fight you, you have me to back you up. Come on, somebody. Some of you are way ahead of me right here. Woo! Alibaba, listen. Then, then, watch this. The splitting of the animals. Checking out in Genesis 15. Abraham knew, got some animals, some doves, cut them down the middle. A wall of blood here, wall of blood here. What does that symbolize? Huh? God says, Abraham, 
this day, from this day on, I live for you. Then Abraham started thinking, how am I going to do a figure eight walk with God and cut a covenant shedding the blood? So while Abraham was trying to figure this out, God put him to sleep. The only thing that Abraham did to ratify the covenant was snore, baby. That was it. That was it. But somebody, the blood had to be shed. Somebody had to cut this covenant. Abraham sleeping. And the Bible says, in a split moment, God woke Abraham up. And the first place his eyes went was to the, the, the wall of blood. And the Bible says this, Abraham saw a smoking pot and a blazing torch pass between the center of the animals. Somebody else was cutting the covenant on Abraham's behalf. I believe he saw the Lord Jesus Christ cut the covenant with his father in heaven. Come on somebody. Say amen in this place right here. Oh, this, this, is, this is amazing. That The amazing thing is. Is that. God was doing Abram's part. To make sure the terms of the covenant were kept. You see there's a difference between the law covenant. And the blood covenant. And here's the difference. Security. Under the law of Moses, the terms of the covenant was dependent on the behavior, the faithfulness, and the obedience of the people. They tried that for 1,500 years, and it failed. Under the grace covenant, watch, human reliability is removed. Watch this. You know why? Because in fact, God made a covenant with himself. And to ensure that the promise of that covenant would be fulfilled. Somebody better say amen in this house right here. This is what it says in Hebrews chapter 6 verse 13. When God made his promise to Abraham, he swore an oath by himself. Since he had no one greater by whom to swear saying, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply you. You know why? Because God made a covenant with himself. Nothing depended on Abraham. Everything depended on God who promised to be faithful to his covenant. Watch. And the wonder of the grace covenant as opposed to the Mosaic covenant is our involvement is removed. Romans chapter 8. Are you still with me here? Listen, I'm telling you, this will put hairs on your chest, ladies. Just hang around for a minute because this is so powerful. Romans chapter 8 verse 3 to 4 says, For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh. In other words, God says, I couldn't bless you like I wanted to you because, because your faithfulness wasn't cutting it. What the law could not do, watch, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin and condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law 
might be fulfilled in us. And when Abraham saw the smoking pot and the blazing torch, I believe that God preached the gospel of grace to Abraham because Jesus said, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. Galatians 3, 8, God preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand. If you're still with me, come on, stay with me here. Amen. So Abraham saw Jesus cut the covenant with his father. The blood was shed. Now, the figure eight walk. What does that symbolize? Infinity. No beginning, no ending. And God says, Abraham, if you die before me, and there's a very strong possibility that is going to happen right here. I am obligating myself to meet the needs of your seed. Come on, you know where we're going here. This gets better. Covenant says, where you lack, I supply. Then the exchange of names. The Old Testament name for God was written in a way that you couldn't pronounce it. We know it as Jehovah. Y-H-W-H. Abraham, A-B-R-A-M. No longer will they call you Abraham. But God took the out of his name and breathed it into Abraham. No longer will they call your wife Sarai, but Sarai, and when you got saved, not only were your sins forgiven, past, present, and future, but God breathed his divine nature into you. Come on, somebody say amen. Everything we need is in us. You say, Ray, do you know the interesting thing? It was an exchange of names. Check it out from Genesis 15 on. Abraham, the God of Abraham, the, 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 the God El Shaddai became known as the God of Abraham. Did you know that your name is tattooed on his hand? Come on, somebody. You didn't just take his name, but he, he took your name too. That's why I loved it, what happened here with Johannes and John. I wish he'd, somebody was called Ray here, because I'd have been out here as well. God, Ray... And some of you are saying, some of you are saying, Ray, how, stay with me because watch. We were sleeping in sin like Abraham was. And someone came and told us and preached the gospel. And we saw a smoking pot and a blazing torch. We saw someone cutting a covenant with his dad. We saw Jesus hanging on a cross. When we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We had no part in it. God was doing it on our behalf. Man, you say, Ray, I still don't get it. And I was the same until I saw this and I'm going to finish with this because this is what got me. Go back to David and Jonathan. We know what happened. They died. Uh, Jonathan died and his father Saul died. And David was coming back into the city to take up his rightful place. The, the, the people in the city started to scream and run. David is coming. David is coming. Our worst enemy. We've got to get out of this place. 
And a little nurse picked up a baby and, and she, she was running with the baby and she was pushed and the baby went sprawling on the floor and broke both his legs. His name was Mephibosheth. And, and she ran to a place called Lodibar. And Mephibosheth was Jonathan's son. He was raised in Lodibar and taught that David was his worst enemy. Little boy, young man, David, if he finds you, Mephibosheth, if he, he's out to kill every single member of your family, if he finds you, he'll not just kill you, he'll torture you. He's a tyrant and all his years thinking David was his worst enemy. And then one day, David could have been worshiping Yahweh and his tunic slipped and he saw the mark. And he said, is there anybody left from the house of Saul? And someone said, well, Jonathan has a son. He's in Lodibar. Bring him here. So the captain of the guard went down to Lodibar. Again, they saw David's army coming, panic, screaming. David has found us. And Mephibosheth heard those words, tried to drag himself out of the house, couldn't walk. Door was kicked open. Are you Mephibosheth? Probably didn't answer. They put him on a horse, drove up to Jerusalem, rode up to Jerusalem, in through the gates, into the palace, in through the very throne room, and David was sitting there in full royal regalia. They threw him down like a piece of meat, and he's waiting for the sword to sever his head from his body. And David says, are you Mephibosheth? Probably didn't answer the first time, just terrified. Are you Mephibosheth? Please look at me. He'd look up with fear dancing in his eyes. Yes, David. He said, do you see these marks here? Do you know what they are? Well, everybody knows what they are, David. They're marks of covenant, which says if you... If you're in need and you have the means to meet the need, you're obligating yourself to meet the need. He said, do you know who I'm in covenant with? Fib? Can I call you Fib? <laughs> do you know your dad, Jonathan? Listen, everything I have is yours. The only thing that can release me from my obligation is if you say no. What's it going to be? Fibula. What? What? I've been eating lizard on toast <laughs> for 22 years. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Woo! Alibaba, yabba-dabba, do a guitar. Yes, David. In he goes to the palace. He goes to the fridge. He's raiding the fridge. Man, he's eating sweet and sour pork. No, it wouldn't be pork, but he'd have the chicken. He'd... <laughs> He'd, he's going pizza and he's stuffing his face and he's loving it and his grease running down his face. And then you get people who've been in the palace for years. Hey, you scruffy little thing. Are you from Wales? Hey, listen, listen. That's my chicken. Get out. Who gives you the right to come in here and act as if you own the place? What's your name again? Who gives you... Mephibosheth wipes his face. He says, don't argue with me, baby. <laughs> Go ask David 
why he's got the marks on his hands. And this is where I had to pull off on the side of the road because Satan has been telling God's people for years, what gives you the right for healing? What gives you the right to live without depression? What gives you the right to believe God to bless you financially? What gives you the right? And we've listened to him. Listen, let's take the example of Mephibosheth from this night on and said, hey, don't argue with me, devil. Go ask Jesus why he's got the marks on his hands and the marks in his feet and the marks in his side. And the, come on, somebody, give praise to Jesus in this house. No, come on, man. Give him praise in this house. Go ask Jesus. Go ask Jesus. Go ask Jesus. And when God began to reveal his name to his people, whenever God said, I am Jehovah, whatever followed was what God was obligating himself to give his people. And when they needed guidance, he would say, I am Jehovah, Ra, your shepherd. And when they needed peace, he would say, I am Jehovah, Shalom. When they needed healing, he said, I am Jehovah Ra, your doctor. When they needed financial help and provision material, he'd say, I am Jehovah Jireh, your provider. And some of you are saying, Ray, what's the one for the money again? I forgot which is the one for the money. No, God has made it easy in the new covenant because he's wrapped all his names up into one name. And at the name of Jesus, come on somebody, at the name of Jesus, we get God's attention. What do you need? Oh, but Ray, I, I, listen, when the angel of death passed through the streets of Egypt, God said, when you see the blood on the doorpost, whoever is inside the house, you pass over judgment. Whoever, because whoever is inside the house is trusting my sacrifice, not theirs. Oh, the angel of death would say, that's too easy. I've got to go inside and see if they've been good people. <laughs> no, God says, when you see the blood, you pass over. I'm looking at a bunch of blood-washed people in this house. Am I talking to the right people here? What do you need? What do you need? See, religion says, this is what you must do for me. Grace stood before a blind man and said, what do you want me to do for you? That's why it takes your breath away. It's got nothing to do with you. But everything, God made a covenant with himself then invited you in to enjoy it. I think, for me, it takes my breath away. Some of you, do you know what we're going to do in a moment? If this is okay, Rory, we're going to shout his name. But, but, but now, when you shout his name now, you have this reservoir of revelation behind it. Can you understand why Jesus says, when you pray, in my, if you ask anything, in my name. 
Is it healing? I don't know what it is. But all I know is this. We're in covenant with an incredible, generous, graceful, loving God. Father, we thank you for your presence in this place. Thank you that you are watching over your word. Lord, I believe people have got healed as I've been preaching this. Father, thank you. Thank you that right now, Lord, as we shout your name, People are going to shout for healing. People are going to shout for deliverance from, from some mental condition. People are going to shout for financial provision. People are going to shout for family salvation. And Father, you're going to respond in Jesus' name. 